Well, it's good to be all together. It's kind of nice. I like this. See you all here to hear everybody singing. We're just glad to have you with us this morning. So as we jump into our text, how about a, how about a song? How about Mary's song? How about the song of this sweet and strong and scared young girl whose life is completely interrupted by the word of the angel Gabriel. And like all good songs, there is joy and happiness in this song, but it's not saccharine. It's not hallmark. It's not a Christian movie. No offense. Yes, happy, happy, joy, joy. Tis the season, but like all good songs, the songs of Advent are filled with the honesty of the one who sings. And so like Mary, this is our song. It's a song for those who today need this. They need the Lord who has come because they are the ones who have trouble. So as John prayed earlier, and it's not to take a dour approach to Advent. This is the fourth Sunday of Advent. We're anticipating the coming of the King. That's why the, the songs that we're singing this morning are songs of anticipation and longing and waiting on Christ who will come. But I wonder if you have any trouble this morning. It's the question that Mary's song allows us to ask. This is the first hymn, the first gospel hymn in all the gospels. And it's given to this little girl who had neither training nor expertise in music and had every reason to not sing and worship. And I wonder if some of us are here today feeling that same way. What is it that troubles you now in a season where you are being told that if you just buy more stuff, you'll be happy? If you will just buy this thing that's coming on the commercial every 10 minutes, you'll be happy. Just for a minute, you'll have enough dopamine to forget about what's really going on. Perhaps you see trouble in your own heart. Perhaps it's in your family. Perhaps you see trouble in the world around you. As I was preparing this sermon this week, this week was just filled with some weird stuff. Some trouble that came upon different folks, even within our own body. I started off the week on Monday going skiing with some friends, and we, we ended up taking the sled down with ski patrol and someone being hauled off in an ambulance. They're doing okay, thank God, but man, <laughs> there's trouble in the world. And so I want to feel with Mary, and I want us to feel not only the need we have in our troubles, but our ability to trust God in those very things. Some of you, uh, you've heard of this little-known musician, J.S. Bach, Right? Everybody's heard of Bach. Some of you know that he would sign his works with SDG, which stands for Soli Deo Gloria. So at the end of his works, he would sign this off and say, God, to you alone be the glory. But, and I didn't know this, I found it out this week, he would begin all of his songs with, with a different little acronym, JJ, Jesu Juva, Jesus Help. Jesus help. And I think that's where Advent brings us to the baby, to the manger, to the need, to the reality of God being trustworthy in our troubles. 
Even when we, like Mary, get a troubling word. Here's Mary's question. And it's a real question for some of you right now who are in the midst of trials and troubles. We don't need to come to church to fake it about those things. That's what I love about Family Sunday, about being the body, about gathering together, is that the Lord gives us access into the honesty and opportunity to worship. Will she trust God in what seems impossible? And will you? I believe Mary gives us, amazingly, young Mary, uneducated Mary, a ridiculous person for God to choose, Mary. She is the one who leads us into the way of worship in the midst of our worries. And so as we dive into the story of Mary, and in particular this morning, Mary's song, sometimes referred to as the Magnificat, Mary's song, I think the main point this morning that I want to commend to us is this, that that you can trust God in your troubles. So wherever you are found this morning, this fourth Sunday of Advent, there's good news for you here. You can trust God in your troubles. Now, the first thing we need to say about our troubles is that they're real. We can't deny them. We can't brush them aside. We can't cover them up with Band-Aids because we know what happens. Wounds fester. We can get bitter. And these things always come back to bite us. Our troubles are real. And so God wants us in this, I think, to consider Mary. And brothers and sisters, I want to encourage us, as difficult as it is this morning, to kind of get into Mary's headspace a little bit. To maybe try to feel her pain just a little bit. I think for those of us who are men, this might be especially difficult. But perhaps you have wives or daughters or even friends. And so you can, you can try to just for a second feel how Mary might have felt when she has this incredible experience. She's confronted with the, the word of God through the mouthpiece of his messenger, his angel Gabriel. He shows up, he speaks, she trusts, but now it's back to reality. And I think the truth of the matter is that for Mary, this is pretty rough. And we need to be very careful to not sentimentalize what's happened to her in this moment. There's real fear. There's real pain. There are huge challenges awaiting her as she steps into trusting God in the midst of this prophetic pregnancy. First of all, how about this? She's an unwed mother in the first century. There's no doubt That from her family and her culture at large, she's anticipating the feeling of shame. To say nothing of the religious judgment that would come upon someone who made such an audacious, scandalous, and unbelievable claim. Add to all that, because of course she's pregnant, she's a woman whose testimony isn't even valid in a court of law. And she's had a powerful experience, but how many of you have had a powerful experience and then afterwards, maybe a week, maybe a month, maybe a couple years have turned around to go, was it really real? Was it really as real as I thought it was? So can you not anticipate the the manifold voices coming straight at Mary saying things like, yeah, okay, sure, let me see, Mary. So uh, we didn't see you for a while. But then according to your story, an angel showed up and 
angels showed up and then God made you pregnant, but there's no witnesses. Okay. And all eyes are on her and on Joseph. And without question, her troubles are real. Add to that that she's in a little town called Nazareth in Galilee. It's a nowhere place in a nowhere part of the Roman Empire. It is a lowly spot and no one in their right mind is thinking that Messiah is going to come from here. Add to that, culturally speaking for the Jews at this time, they're under the thumb of Rome through the puppet king Herod. Now Herod wants to think that he might be the Messiah. That's why he's so eager, as we read in Matthew's gospel, to slaughter the innocents so that he would have no rivals or challenges, challengers. But he doesn't come from the right line. He doesn't have the right pedigree. And the Pharisees have already made that known to him. And so not only is Herod a puppet king of Rome, but he's dangerous as he lives according to his own deception. At this point in time, God's people are enslaved. They are disarmed. They have no army. And so circumstantially speaking, they have no hope. And add to that something that John and I talked a little bit about this week. He actually cued me in to this. Because I think we're prone to think, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, it was all bad until the baby was born. And then we get to the manger. And from the point of the manger, Mary's nothing but, but mercy from there on out. And everybody understood. And all the dads and the uncles and the friends were like, oh, the baby's here. No worries now. But actually, there's a, there's a little verse in John chapter 8 where the Pharisees sort of slyly and subtly accuse Jesus of being an illegitimate child. They say, you know what Jesus has for us? Our father is Abraham. Who is your father? And there's a sense there, scholars tend to think that that maybe this question of, of the troubles, of believing this word, of trusting this word, of knowing it was God himself who did it, dogged Jesus even into the later years of his ministry. This is what it's like to live in a, in a shame culture. Do the right thing. Bring honor to yourself and your family. You will be loved and accepted. If you don't, trouble is sure to follow. And that's why we can see and relate with Mary in verse 29 when she says, I am greatly troubled. There's a reason that adjective is there. Because I believe the Lord wants, wants us to feel the weight of what this young, maybe 14, 15, 16-year-old girl is going through. How is she going to explain this to Joseph, who was an honorable man? So he had agreed to divorce her in private. To her parents, to her friends, to her family, to the world. She is greatly troubled. And our troubles are as real as Mary's troubles. She is greatly troubled and you would be too. And some of you are right now because the thing has come upon you that doesn't make sense, that you can't understand, that you can't fix, even though you're very good at fixing things. You're very smart. You've been successful, but you can't fix this one. You can't control it. So the text begs this question. Wow, can we trust God in our troubles? And again, I love that as we gather as the people of God, as children of God, who believe and say, Lord, help my unbelief, we get to ask this question. 
even as we worship. Wow, Lord, that's a lot for Mary. And Lord, if I'm honest about my fear, my sadness, what scares me, if I'm honest about the things that make me angry, the things that hurt, it feels that way for me too. Can we trust you in our troubles? I mean, that makes a great bumper sticker. I feel like I should copyright that. I could fill up the Subarus of Santa Fe with that bumper sticker. (laughs) Trust Jesus in your troubles, brother. You know, that's all you need to do. Just pull yourself up and trust him better. Oh, it's a great bumper sticker, but if you're Mary, even having experienced with your eyes the angel and with your ears hearing the words, no doubt when the experience is past, fear and doubt and pressure and trouble come. So can we trust God in our troubles? And I think Mary shows us the way. I love that God gives us the upside down kingdom. I love that it's not the most educated, you know, Jewish leader. I love that it's not the most virile and strong Roman warrior, but it's little nobody Mary from a nowhere town who's now in big trouble, who shows you and me the way to worship in the midst of our words, to trust God in the midst of our troubles. So how does she navigate this? And what can we learn from this little girl who believed God's word and praised him in the midst of her peril. Three things that I just want us to see this morning that I believe we can learn about how to worship God in our trials and trust in our troubles. The first thing that Mary does, and it's pretty incredible, is she sings a new song. She sings a new song, but it's not a new song. We'll get to that. But she sings a new song. Everyone around her is saying, you're crazy. And her choice is to worship. Her choice is to listen to the one who she knows has authority and who has spoken to her. She trusts God's promises over her predicaments. And so later we'll hear the song, Mary, Did You Know? Mary, did you know? You know, you like that song. Everybody likes that song. Mary, did you know? And I want to answer that with no, but yes, but no, she definitely didn't know, but yes, she did. You see, all of the God-fearing young women in Mary's day who grew up hearing the word of God in the Old Testament knew the promise of Genesis chapter 3, that one day God would, through a woman, send his seed to crush the head of the serpent. That first gospel in Genesis 3.15, that God would be faithful to finally one day keep his promises. And although the first Adam failed, the second Adam would come through a woman whom God chose to one day make all things right, to make all things new. But at this point, they had been waiting so long, So long that you wonder if folks in this day and age would dare to hope in such a thing. In fact, even even before the Lord Jesus came through Mary, there had been many claims to the keeping of this promise. And all of them had failed. So it wasn't only a temporal matter of it's been too long, but it was a matter of look at all these other failures in our past, a matter of precedent as well. And yet when Mary hears the Lord, she knows whose voice she hears. 
Perhaps this is the most important way to trust God in our troubles, to listen to his voice, to know the one who is speaking has authority. And that's why her song, and I'd encourage you to get your Bibles out after this and, and go back through Mary's song. It's such a wonderful, beautiful, incredible song. And it's made up of mostly Old Testament quotes. Quotes that a young child like Mary, again, let's say 14, 15 years old, would have memorized as she was being taught by her mother and father and grandparents to know God's word. She draws especially from our call to worship this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 2. God has been faithful to Hannah. He has been faithful through this chosen woman to keep his promise for a prophet, Samuel. And so Hannah bursts into song. From barren, she is now bountiful. The Lord is provided in her troubles. And it's that very song, Hannah's prayer, that Mary quotes. And, and here's what I want us to see that I feel like is really important. That her faith is not in all the things she understands. Her faith is not faltering in light of her fears, but her faith is founded on God's faithfulness. She recounts the promises of God. So when our troubles come, and guess what? Sometimes, unfortunately, they come around Christmas time. Even when we're only allowed to smile, they come then. Her faith is in God's faithfulness. And so her song, Mary's song, is filled with this thing that we call biblical theology, where we see all the promises and shadows of the Old Testament being fulfilled and pronounced and brought to light in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He is the substance of the shadows. He is the person that answers the call of the promises. And that's why she makes reference to David and his throne, this covenant, this promise God made with David. That's why Mary references Abraham. And John talked about it last week from Matthew's genealogy. This covenant of grace. Abraham, you have nothing. You left Ur. You've wandered all this way. Nothing in your hands you bring, but I will take you, you crusty, awesome, weird, beautiful, faithful old man. You crotchety disciple whose wife is 948 years old and there's no way upon way, I'm going to take you two and look up at the stars. And that's going to be my people. And one day there will be some from every tribe and every tongue and every nation who worship me on account of this covenant of grace. It's not your works, not your gifts or your abilities, but your grace. So Mary's faith is in God's faithfulness. And I want you to hear in your trouble the word that he speaks to Mary. You are blessed. You are favored. Not because Mary is somehow inherently special, but because she is a daughter of God whom he has called and loved. And because of that, she is special. You are favored. You have the Lord with you. And finally, you need not be afraid. I want you to see that God, in speaking to her, faithful words addresses each and every one of her concerns. You are blessed, you have me with you, and you do not need to be afraid. And look, if this is true, then in our troubles, we can endure. We can endure families that don't understand. We can endure a society that can't make sense 
out of our trusting and following our Savior. We can endure our fears and the voices in our head that bring lies and condemnation. We can even dare in those troubles to sing a new song. So she sings a new song. That's the first way that Mary navigates her troubles and trusts in the Lord. But there's a second component to this that is equally important, I think, especially for me, I'll speak for myself, but I think for all of us and in our day. When in general, we, we tend to have a lot of our basic needs met. And that is, if you want to navigate your troubles with trust in the Lord, you have to see yourself honestly. And I want to appreciate here Mary's great humility. She is humble. She trusts the love of God to lift up the lowly, even in her lowly estate. So she believes God's promises over her predicaments. She trusts God's love in her lowly estate. Mary's song is pretty simple. She magnifies the Lord. Basically for two things. Two things that pertain to the good news of the gospel, which humbles the proud and the powerful and exalts the lowly, the weak, and the wounded. Her song is simple. She basically says that God has a plan to take those who think they have it all together and to humble them and show them that before the Lord, all that they have to bring and offer is nothing. And that for those who are low and weak and helpless and needy, and I'll tell you what about Christmas time. You guys know this as well as I do. It's a time of year where people who are, who are doing pretty well, man, maybe they can feel like they're doing pretty well. But for people that are already compromised, already hurting, already weak, already wounded, already dealing with something painful, man, it can be like a magnifying glass to the sun. And Mary says, fear not, because God has a plan to exalt the lowly and the humble. She shows us this by being honest about her lowly estate. She says twice in this text, I am a servant of the Lord. That word servant can simply be translated slave, bondservant. It's kind of an unfortunate word, but it's Mary's way of saying, look, this has come upon me. I didn't ask for it, but God, I am yours. I don't deserve your grace. I don't des there's nothing so good and great in me that, you know what, Lord, why don't you take a look at my year? Because, you know, at work, I got a review, and they took a look at my year, and they said I did pretty good. Lord, why don't you just add up all the great things I, I, I've done this year, and, you know, you can give me my five gold stars in heaven, and we can be done. And I'll take my bonus, please. Instead, Mary says, I, I, don't, I don't deserve any of this. She knows her need for help. She understands that she is poor and needy and desperate for the Lord to work. And this is the soil in which God plants the seed of his grace. So brothers and sisters, I just want to encourage us this morning. I, you know, no, no matter what you, you think you have or you've done or you've accomplished in life, can we, can we hear this together? That like Mary, this little girl who shows us what it looks like to worship. That it starts with our being humble and our trusting God and our lowliness. I want you to notice that, that Mary doesn't, you know, in, in spite of this angelic word, become an activist. 
You know, it's not fair. Or Gabriel, maybe you should have done it a little bit differently. Or I, I don't, you know, she doesn't become an activist to God's word. But nor does she become a fatalist. Nor does she say, okay, fine. I guess this is how it's going to be. I'm ruined. No one will have me. Life is over. But in Luke's gospel, and I love that Luke does this. And by the way, I should just mention, because I know we have visitors here this morning. This was beyond abnormal in the first century, in the ancient Near East. It is glorious that the Lord does this in his word. But for Luke, Mary is not an activist. She's not a fatalist. She's a hero. Mary is a, a hero. She's the one who gets it. The little girl who understands that she's humble and needy and she, she can't rest on her, on her successes. She's the one who gets it. And she gets to sing the first gospel hymn in Luke's account. A little girl determined to trust the grace of God. And it's almost as if the Lord says to us, if, if Mary is willing, are you? And I think the only way that we can be willing to do that, the last thing, how does Mary navigate this troubling news? How does she trust God in her troubles? She puts the focus where it belongs. There's no doubt that Mary is, is special. And I have over here kind of a long quote from John Calvin that I'm not going to read that's a really good quote about how I think the reformers in some ways navigated two errors here. They were able to understand the specialness of Mary without worshiping her as, as some sort of divinity, but at the same time realizing that she can be called the, the Theotokos, the God-bearer, the mother of God, because God did call her in a special way. And yet in all of those things, in her not being divine, but her also being special, she shows us what we should do with her. Let her speak for herself. She shows us where the focus belongs. And Mary puts the focus on God. And so to cap this, remembering his promises, seeing herself in humility, she shows us that to trust God in our troubles, we must look on God and not ourselves. We must believe God's word over our worries. That's why this song is called the Magnificat. Latin, it just means simply, it's the first few words of the song. My soul magnifies the Lord. You'd think that Mary might take this opportunity to feel you know, good about herself, to give herself a big pat on the back, to run around town saying, I won the lottery. I'm the one. I'm the seed of the woman. The angel Gabriel has said so. Instead, she uses all of her energy, all of her might, even in her trials and troubles, to put the focus not on herself, not on what anyone might say about her or to her, but on God. Her blessing, her being favored, allows her to turn us toward the blesser. And so in verse 38, after the angel has spoken, even after she is greatly troubled, Mary says, let it be according to your word. And in her song, if you'll read it again, she has the phrase, he has, referring to what God has done over 10 times. God has done this. God has done that. God has done it all. And verse 37, nothing is impossible with God. This is where her joy comes from. Not in her ability to perfectly see or understand or figure out how it's all going to be okay. 
That's what we want to do when trouble and trial comes. We want to solve it. But that's not where Mary's joy comes from. It does not come from looking down at her troubles and doing the perfect little analysis of how to work all those things out. It comes as she looks up to God. She doesn't look down at her abilities. She doesn't look down at her status. She doesn't even look down at her circumstances. But she looks up at her Savior. So these hows, these ways to navigate trusting in the midst of trouble, singing a new song, seeing ourselves honestly, putting the focus on where it belongs, all these are founded on a single why. Because I still think the text leaves us with this question. If you are in the midst of trials and troubles right now, why? Why trust God? If perhaps you feel like it's not fair, it hasn't gone your way, this isn't what you planned on. Why trust God in your troubles when the struggle that you're feeling right now feels more real than the trust you might have? And here's why. Because Mary, the young girl who shows us what it means to look up to God, when we do look up to God, when we humbly look up to God, when we remember his promises, when we look up to God and not to ourselves, what do we see? When we look up to God, we see precisely the God who comes down to us. And that's the beauty of the glory of the gift of trust that we receive in the incarnation and the putting on of flesh of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Because he knew trouble. He knew what it was to be lowly and despised and broken and misunderstood like Mary. He strived and struggled to convince the people around him that he was who he said he was. Like Mary, he knew the experience of God and yet wrestled in his own soul with that experience. Like Mary, he took on the form of a servant. He became lowly to save those even like Mary who believe. And because of all that Jesus has done for us, because he is the one who is worthy of our worship and praise. We can sing a new song, even when our troubles are real. We can worship our God, even when our worries threaten to overwhelm us. We can, by the grace of God, trust him in our troubles. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word to us this morning. Through this little girl, I think about how easy it is to dismiss people and how easy it would have been in those days for so many to dismiss Mary, to deride her, to say derogatory things. How could it be? Lord, can we feel for a second with Mary that these troubles would have been real? She was greatly troubled and with good reason. So Lord, we come to you in our same sense and experience of those things. We come to you with our hearts where they are greatly troubled. And we ask that you would help us to learn from Mary, your servant, to sing a new song, to be humbled and see ourselves honestly, and to put the focus in all these things where they belong, on you and not us. But Lord, all those things are but things to do. 
unless we understand why. It is by grace that our heads are raised from our lowly estate. And when we look up to you, we do not see an angry God wagging his finger, chiding us for the trials in which we find ourselves, but a God who himself comes down and takes on the form of a servant and becomes lowly and cursed, even to the point of death on a tree, who lays his life down for the lowly that we might with Mary be exalted. And so we praise you for that. And we ask as we come to your table now to feast on this heavenly food that you would meet us by the power of the Holy Spirit and in our trouble, help us trust. Make the good news of this gospel real to us, we pray in Christ's name, amen.